My name is Alex Kashuta, and this is the Subversive Podcast. It's an excuse for me to talk to some of the most interesting people on the heterodox to heretic spectrum. Everyone from iconoclast philosophers to rogue scientists to real post-BuzzFeed journalists and our true intellectual elite, Twitter anonymous accounts. In short, they're quite subversive. Enjoy. Today I'm joined by Helen Roy. Uh, Helen is a dear friend, uh, a writer, and a contributing editor uh, of The American Mind. Welcome, Helen. Hey, Alex. It's lovely to see you again after uh, quite a, a short while. I mean, I saw you last week in person. Um, we both attended and spoke at the National Conservatism Conference, NatCon 3. Um, and it was really lovely to meet you and uh, a lot of other people that I've only known off the internet uh, in person, which, uh, yeah. Same was... back at you. It's so, it's always so crazy to meet, you know, your online friends, IRL, but I really enjoy it and think it's pretty important too. Yeah, it was, it was an unreasonable amount of fun. And I feel like we kind of congealed pretty well as a group, uh, even though we were just kind of online weirdos, very online <laughs> weirdos who, who met yeah. in person. So yeah, um, it is it is sometimes nice to meet your heroes. So uh, I can I can only <laughs> recommend it. Um, yeah, I, f I feel like we've kind of had um, what they call convergent evolution. I feel like we're, we, we have similar life paths, you and me. And uh, we've also have had children and kind of, I don't, I'm not going to guess your age but at a similar life stage um mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. have more children than I have you have two two wonderful children uh and I have uh one child kind of in between <laughs> your children yes. just as a as yes. a temporal stage um and I, I mean for me it's it's been an insane um I, I'm, I'm not gonna call it a journey but it's been insane step change and how and how I've related to myself to the world and I just wondered like how do you feel that the motherhood changed you? Oh, wow. What an amazing question. Um, oh, man. It's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a confrontation to uh, your narcissism. I think the sort of narcissism that we all kind of live in and maybe don't want to admit that we do uh, most of our lives. And yeah, I mean, what what everybody says is true. It's it's uh, the sacrifice, the daily sacrifice, um, which I'm not, which I don't like to complain about. I really don't. I think that there's way too much, you know. And we can talk about this too. There's, you know, on like mom TikTok and stuff. There's just so much whining about about mom life. But um, but yeah, I, I think that the biggest change for me has just been this. Um, you just confrontation with my own selfishness, I think. As hard as that is to admit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely echo that. <laughs> it's uh, I, I don't know if um, it's, it's almost like a, it's almost like Buddhism in a way. Like it's kind of like a Zen practice to be just thrust into so much physical labor, um, you know, in, in, mm. in every sense of the word once you have a child and to be so concerned with something outside of yourself 
that it just completely obliterates any um, any of that. Like, you know, you put it very well, essentially narcissism that we've been groomed to live in uh, yeah. or at least maybe not groomed to live in, but it's it's been allowed to flourish in a way that yeah. I don't think any other generation has had the opportunity to live so narcissistically, to let every narcissistic <laughs> impulse just right. bloom. Um, and I, I'm definitely, you know, very much at fault <laughs> with that. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a relief. I mean, for me, it really has been. It really has been um, a relief to almost be relieved of, a, of almost, you know, a burden of the self. Um, and, you know, letting myself go in the, in the most beautiful of ways, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, you know? totally, totally. Yeah, it's, um, uh, I think, you know, a, lo- a lot of, a lot of, I think a woman's pride is tied up in, in, in her appearance. And I know this isn't what you meant, I, like letting yourself no, no, go. I, for- I, I meant that as well in a way, because, you know, this is an important thing. And, you know, I, I have to admit, I mean, I've, I've struggled with, with the whole appearance thing after baby. Same. I've had a baby quite late in life. And, you know, I, you know, I imagine I would have, you know, bounced back a bit easier if I was younger, maybe, maybe not. But yeah, it's, it's been, it's been harder than I thought. It, you know, my usual methods did not work. Yes. So I'm having to appeal to more and more, uh, you know, draconian measures and uh, yeah, you know, that's what it is. Same here. And that, and that, that's sort of what I was getting at is like this, uh, this uh, letting yourself go thing. I, I've totally I mean, um, you know, physically, I can, I can kind of like look at myself and be like, well, you know what, this body has carried multiple children and, um, and who cares that it doesn't, um, I don't know. Hotness is a a bit overrated (laughs) at at this point in life. And, um, and, uh, I would have been probably cripplingly insecure about <laughs> about certain things years ago that now um yeah it is it, i've I've been freed to sort of appreciate in in a new way yeah of course i mean it's um uh, it's 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 one of those things that you know i mean, I can't say I'm not insecure about it, but it's, at the same time I've got like ninety nine problems. <laughs> the same one to be honest I mean you know I'm I'm, I'm thinking about it and you know I'm 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 working towards my goals obviously but uh um there is a you know an extremely important uh emotional uh you know situation in my home that I have to tend to first and yeah it's Mm -hmm. um yeah it's 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 great in that way to be honest just being a woman on the internet hasn't you know it's it's you know it would have been a much chiller transition <laughs> if I wasn't a public person, uh, yes. but yeah, it's um, it it has its its ups and downs, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but anyway, um, I I think that's um that's that's a you know a, a very similar path that you've that you've tr- trodden. Um, I want also want to ask you um about traditional Catholicism because I feel like that's that's kind of a space that you're in, uh, as far as I understand. Um, have you grown up in traditional Catholicism? Is that something that? Oh, absolutely not. No, no. I, so I, I can't consider myself a trad calf, even though I'm, you know, uh, I attend the Latin mass and I'm part of a traditional Latin mass community and I, um, love the liturgy. I really can't honestly, like unironically call myself a trad calf. I'm really much more, as I say in my bio of a bad Catholic. Um, <laughs> I was not baptized until I was like, so here, okay, I guess I should begin at the beginning. Um, My parents were both 
raised Catholic, but not, but not, um, I just, I'll just say they had their issues with, with the institution and, you know, Hey, I won't comment on that, but, (laughs) um, they, they baptized me. We weren't really in catechesis until later. I had some adopted grandparents who, who, uh, brought, brought us to catechism. And so we were confirmed when we were in my brother and I in high school, but um, the, the if you were like born in the '90s, you basically weren't catechized, even if you were. Um, and I, I won't get into the whole like Novus Ordo Vatican II controversy when it has to do with the church, but I'll just say that um, there's been a real devitalization of Catholic education, and the consequence of that is a really lukewarm faith. And so uh, when we were coming up, it just, you know, the the knowledge wasn't there and uh, the seriousness wasn't there. And so I think a lot of people fall away when, if if you perceive that somebody is telling you something and that they're not serious about their what they're saying, there's no reason to believe them. And I, I, I think I sort of fell into that trap. Um, and was uh, swept up in the uh, uh, Christopher Hitchens sort of YouTube moment, Sam Harris type stuff. And that was, you know, right around the time I was like going to college. And so I was a self-professed like uh, seeker. I would maybe call myself culturally Catholic, but not, um, obviously not serious. Um, and not, it, it meant nothing the identity meant nothing. I was, I was much more of an agnostic. And so, um, it wasn't until I, I sort of, I had a bit of a political conversion, I would say that, uh, precipitated eventually, um, a religious conversion. And, you know, ideally it would work the other way around, but, um, yeah, being as it were, that's what happened. And, um, so uh, being caught up in, um, when I say caught up in, I, I don't even mean that I was necessarily on board with, but um, I, like so many people, was interested in the Trump moment, interested in um, what was happening and what, and what people in a derogatory way will, will you know, say, call alt-right. Um, these, these dissident ideas, these subversive ideas were really appealing to me. Um, and uh, appealing basically just because, precisely because they were verboten. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I started to think about things a little bit differently, reconsider my priors. Um, and that, you know, that eventually, uh, that process eventually led me to reconsider uh, my sort of agnostic stance on uh, God. And, and then, yeah, really, once you start going down that rabbit hole, um, I think most people reach, reach the church. So that's what happened. Sorry. That's a bit, that was a bit of a long story, a little circuitous, but yeah. No, no. I mean, uh, you're, you're not the only one. (laughs) You're not alone. 
<laughs> and I mean, at this point, it's boring. Like everybody, this is what happened to everybody, right? Yeah. There was yeah. something really strange about the spirit of 2015. There was something in the air. Yeah, yeah. Even even early in that, I mean, the you know the the four horsemen was even more interesting to me. The Trump moment, and I I was definitely pro Trump, and I kind of got it, but it was I mean. Like as someone who was far away, it really even then it wasn't that you were you know caught up so much in U.S. politics. I feel like for for the space that I was in, just like new atheism was much bigger than Trump, uh, and mm-hmm. it was much earlier at least for me because I'm. I oh feel yeah, like yeah. I'm it was more like but, 2012 for me that when I was interested in that stuff. Yeah, Trump yeah. Stuff came later, yeah. Yeah, it's um. It's very interesting because it's kind of the same for me. I mean, my parents were Catholic as well, but they had this kind of cynical view of the church a little bit they were all about you know the community and we go to church because of the community and it's good to it's good to show up because people see you and stuff like that and I thought that my god they couldn't even imagine anything more more cynical or more cold I mean do you even believe what these people are saying and then I was confronted with people that I knew were um, you know kind of more the intellectual wing of the church you know like you know or uh, the priest and people like that who were just essentially not very bright people you could tell from from what they're saying and I'm like okay so this should be kind of an intellectual mentor for me that's going to explain how the world works to me um no (laughs) you're not qualified I'm sorry my dude (laughs) you can't tell me what to do I was also like 13 14 years old so (laughs) So there might have been a little bit of pride at play but (laughs) yeah exactly But there's actually really something to that I mean it's like the tragedy of the modern homily um and and that so many priests have have their prime aim has been to be entertaining entertain because that's what we sort of perceive that a modern audience wants but in reality you know, we are totally bombarded by constant, ceaseless entertainment. And um, I found an an amazing reprieve in um, the quiet reverence of the Latin mass. Um, So yeah, actually, that's sort of a part of that story that I didn't include. Like, I, there was like this intellectual I guess, openness that was triggered by this political change. But I didn't actually become like a, you know, trad cath. And like I say, I I hesitate to use that term without irony. But um, but really, like, what really led me into that was actually going to the mass and um, confronting for the first time in my life this sort of sublime beauty and oh man and uh like I said quiet reverence and mystery mystery um it was profoundly touching I remember after my first latin mass I went to a friend's um it was her she and her now husband were doing a a really special uh, rite of engagement that uh, people don't do anymore this is like but when you when you get engaged in the traditional uh, church, you, there's there's this this rite of engagement where you sort of make um, proto vows, <laughs> um, you know, to have to have a have a fruitful and and faithful courtship or you know engagement. And I remember going and um, just being. I, 
looking around at all of these women in, in Mantillas with seven children, you know, and um, it was, you know, kids were crying and all that. It was not, it wasn't like these kids were perfectly behaved or any, anything like that, but like people were like really serene and, and um, serious, but not in a, not in an intimidating way, just sort of like a, an otherworldly way, I guess. And, and that's another thing that I, that I felt when I first went to the Latin mass was the sense that, oh, these people really mean what they're saying. Oh, these people. Yeah. Like there is, there is a certain integrity about how these people were acting in the world and what I knew that they believed. And that's, you know, when you go to a Novus Ordo, often you'll like see, you know, boomers in uh, cutoffs and flip-flops and their daughters in what three decades ago we would identify as you know, uh, prostitute wearing, you know? <laughs> um, and so there's like, there's always like a little bit of dissonance. Uh, it's a bit jarring, you know, to be, to be in the house of God, uh, dressed like you're in, in, in the world and, and sort of even, even down to the way that people sort of act in church and, the, and they just have this sort of lackluster, unfocused, like glazed over eyes in the, in the modern church. I think that's common. And then, yeah, I was just so touched by what I saw. It was really an aesthetic experience primarily. Yeah. I think that's something that people don't understand about, about ritual that you can, you know, you can still go through the motions with some fractions of ritual, but that in the core, the core essence of the ritual and why you essentially, why you have to play it as a ritual, why you have to stick to the script that is there and has been there for the longest time is because there is that aesthetic experience kind of in the middle of the ritual and you're, you know, by, by simplifying it, by stripping it, by adding, you know, entertainment to the whole thing that you're essentially just, just throwing to the winds, the actual purpose of the thing that is mysterious. Like you said, it's not, you don't know what it is about the thing that you're doing that actually conveys the importance of it, you know, that actually gives you the effect or, you know, the, the experience that you're looking for, or, you know, that that's, there for you to find. Um, and I feel like that's, that's probably also what you saw in the church when you were growing up. And that's what I saw. I mean, definitely saw a lot of cynicism and a lot of, you know, almost anti-intellectualism. Like it, it really wasn't any, um, you know, people would just kind of cuss you out if you would be asking questions. And that was, for me, just felt really like, ugh, yeah, know, this is not my group. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, I also grew up in the, the American South, so there is this broader culture that was more like uh, evangelical, Southern Baptist sort of. Um, We've know, got that people. here as well. You'd be surprised. We've got a lot oh, of really, uh, wow. yeah, from from the U.S. Quite interesting. Oh, that makes sense. I guess the post-communist communist like missionaries, missionaries, yeah, yeah. Baptists were very successful. Mormons a little bit, though didn't catch on, but Baptists are huge here. They've got their own universities, wow. a lot of funding from the U.S. It's, it's uh, quite interesting. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. But yeah. That, that, that sort of, that, I feel like that um, sect has a different spirit, you know, and um, 
sometimes uh, I could feel the like the Catholic Church, um, I guess, relenting under that pressure and sort of getting into like vacation Bible school tier, like corny stuff. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. It was always even even as a kid, I just it was so cringe. <laughs> but you know, what's interesting. I think the cringe factor is a huge selling point here because it's cringe to Americans, but it's American to us and American <sighs> is not cringe. <laughs> so uh-huh. we have, you know, the, the, the Christian rock we've got, you know, the, like all the stuff that you see and like, you know, the mega churches we have here on a small scale. Um, and even like my niece, she goes to the Baptist school, like, I don't know, it's not primary school. It's like, I don't know, middle school. Um, and because it's the best one, you know, it's, it's, it has the most wow. funding, has the strictest teachers, which is important, obviously, because if you go to public school here, it's pretty much like public school in the U.S. It's like, mm. it's wild, you know, not exactly the same, if yeah. you understand what I mean, <laughs> but it's yeah. kind of wild, you know, so. yeah. actively trying to remove her breasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, a few things are different, but it's still like, you know, like my, my husband, he went to an all boys school in, in New Zealand, uh, which is also kind of, I think, Anglican affiliated, you know, religious heavy, uh, very strict, you know, uh, you know, uniforms and everything. And he, he just, you know, there's a, there's a high school right next to, to where we live, like the high school that I went to actually. And the kids are all smoking outside of the school and they're, you know, wearing their uniforms. But underneath there's like, I don't know, a slutty nurse outfit or something. (laughs) So he's like, why are these kids instantly expelled? What is going on here? (laughs) So, yeah, that's, you know, this is a public high school. It's It's actually a fancier of the public high schools. It's hard to get in but it's a public high school and that's kind of what happens uh, at the confessional high schools here. They're private, eh, no slutty nurse outfit, no smoking mm. in front of the school. Maybe in the back of the school they're smoking, <laughs> but no, you know, not in front of the school. So yeah, a little bit more, um, I don't know, this is a decorum maybe. Okay, okay, okay. Is th- so um, when do people typically start smoking in Romania? As a former well, chain smoker, I'm curious. Well, not in kindergarten. <laughs> That's what I can say. Sometime between kindergarten and college. Oh yeah, for sure. definitely primary school. Has to be primary school. Maybe like eleven, twelve, probably most common. Like my mom started at twelve, and she smoked you know, her whole life. Yeah, two packs wow. a day. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, she really, she really liked that. But um, yeah, it's it's very common here. Um, all my childhood friends smoked. I didn't smoke because I thought it was cringe because it was too common everywhere. Mm. I wanted to be different. <laughs> Alex the contrarian. Yeah, of course. <laughs> was atheist, feminist, you know, not smoking in this, you know, patriarchal, <laughs> religious <laughs> smokers den. So yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, but it's... Um, I did. I did smoke when I moved to London because I was. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was just getting stressed out by all the girl bossery, and I was like, I need. I need something. I see something. Oh, yes, you need an outlet. Off. Yeah. <laughs> well, the contrarian in me is what led me to smoking, probably. Oh, really? <laughs> right, because in America, it's such a puritanical sort of like they've made it. They've really made it because of um, I think the public health policy and everything, and also our Puritan roots. 
um, really made it into like a moral uh, issue. <laughs> Smoking, yeah. you know. Yeah, I, you know, just thinking about how how my my thinking goes, I'd probably be smoking in the U.S. right now. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, yeah. Just, uh, just thinking about you know the game theory of me being <laughs> contrarian. Yeah, I'd, I'd be smoking. <laughs> yes, yes. But yeah, here in Romania, no, I think it's yeah, no, no, I don't, I don't want to be yeah. like everyone else. Um, <laughs> it's um, it's it's been um, an interesting uh kind of transition to becoming a, a, a mom and, and a wife, especially because this is another thing I want to talk to you about. It's just, uh, mm. just kind of having a relatively traditional household in non-traditional time. Um, and I, I see these tensions and, you know, people that I know and, you know, people who are either trying to have more traditional, you know, arrangement or people who just trying to, you know, keep their marriage together. There are all sorts of tensions about kind of, splitting tasks, you know, keeping polarity between the sexes, where does the money come from? You know, all sorts of things like that. You know, how, how have you found this in, in, in your marriage? Obviously, you know, it revealed as much as you can, but just, you know, <laughs> if, if there, if there were any challenges that you can kind of expound on, that'd be, that'd be an interesting thing to, to talk about. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think that, um, part of the reason why I, I, I really am. I, I get a little bit cheesy about stuff like this. So everybody will have to just forgive the sentimentality for a second. But no, 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 please. We're, we're missing a lot of <laughs> sentimentality on this podcast. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I am very lucky because I married a man who I really am head over heels um, in love with and, and who is not um, ideological. He is concerned he's but he's you know rather uh, deeply practical and um concerned with um yeah uh what works i mean we are we're a team we're not e- equal i don't i don't like the term equal i don't like the you know the sort of well you know the whole thing about equality is that it's been totally um corrupted by uh you know neoliberal philosophy but so I, I wouldn't, I, so I resist like calling our arrangement equal. It just simply is, it, we are a team and we do what it takes to make things work in a way that is conducive to everyone's happiness. And he makes the money and I watch our babies and, and but he also acknowledges that it's actually uh, much easier to to um, work with numbers all day than it is to be eye to eye with a toddler all day. And so, you know, when he comes home, he takes over and gives me a second. <laughs> and uh, that feels right. And, um, you know, especially when I was pregnant and um, nur- nursing and all of that, you know, he's so helpful and so generous with me and considerate of me. So, um, I feel taken care of. Um, I don't, I don't have advice for people other than I think that they should just do what works. And this is just sort of, I don't know, it it almost sounds like, I I almost sound like a lib saying this, like there's no right way, but, um, but that's, that is what works for us. And it is fairly traditional, but it's not, um, we don't make ourselves slaves to 
to any sort of concept of masculinity or femininity or any sort of idea that particular tasks are inherently tied to either one of those things, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, there there would be maybe a little bit of an, uh, you know, a relationship might get a little bit off kilter if you were the main breadwinner and he would be tasked with taking care of the babies or how would you split tasks? I mean, if tomorrow yeah. you became like a huge public intellectual, Jordan Peterson of women, uh, oh, you now are a multimillionaire, you know, touring the world. Right, right. <laughs> Dispensing I pro- advice. <laughs> I probably wouldn't. Um, uh, for many reasons. And even if it came to me, I think, I don't know, I think I would struggle with that. My, my sort of, what I do is, is interesting to me now and manageable for now. And I sort of resist, um, I don't know, I sort of resist that kind of success. Ah, whatever, that's sort of a personal thing. I won't get into that. But um, okay, good question. Um, if I were the main breadwinner, would it throw a wrench in things? I. I don't know. I think, you know, maybe, maybe I think that, I think that my husband enjoys providing for us and for, and protecting us and being the sort of public, um, you know, force in the family. I don't like to leave the house. So, <laughs> so, so he does that. I don't know if, if I were the person who did that, um, I don't think he would be, you know, he's just so confident. It's hard to imagine that he would ever be so emasculated. Um, I think I would have more of an issue with not being around the babies and, uh, and him and not cooking. I love cooking, you know, gosh, that's such a non-answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I think, you know, I've, I've, might've just, you know, hit on someone who just has the perfect arrangement. Yeah, There's no, no, no strange tensions, no, you know, shadow self to, to, you know, you know, psychoanalyze or anything. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy for you, but it makes well, you, a terrible you podcast. Not, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's true. It's true. No, it's no, 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 no. I don't mean to humble brag here. Um, you've met no, my husband, I've, though. You, you know I, him. I've met like, your husband. I know what you mean. You guys are, are made for each other. I really have to say that's oh. a wonderful, you know, match made in heaven. Um, and, you know, as far as I know, it's, it's been made on Bumble. <laughs> yes, yes, we did meet on Bumble. Yeah. We did the, meet on the Bumble. algorithm does deliver sometimes. So isn't yeah. that wild? Yeah, I, I, th- I think actually, happened. yes, I, I think our struggles sort of happened earlier on, maybe like um, because we were both having this sort of political religious conversion reversion situation together, and I think ironing out some of those kinks, you know probably just happened earlier on I don't know we both had to sort of forgive each other and 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 be you know uh, feel feel badly about about who we'd been uh, before we saw the light and now that we have I'm I'm just pretty grateful that by the grace of God um I feel like I've been able to come into contact with something that's really true so yeah yeah to be honest I feel the same about my my marriage yeah it's uh yeah just a total total um 
Yeah. It's, it's grace. And I'm mm. incredibly happy about my healthy baby and just, you know, my peaceful marriage and everything's, you know, going, going great. Um, yeah. You know, life isn't perfect. Many, many things have gone wrong, but my marriage is, is just my, you know, it's the rock and it's yeah. know, just important. Totally. I almost feel like sometimes we're made to feel like their marriage must be super hard, you know, or yeah. that it must be this, I don't know, just the way that it, it's not just the way that it's portrayed in like the liberal media, which is like, oh, you know, like incompetent, incompetent, a bumbling father, idiot, and like nagging um, bitch mom. It's also like the way that even Christian people will talk about it is like this cross that you have to bear. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's just like people need to give themselves permission to experience joy and to recognize goodness and beauty and love it and appreciate it. Yeah. yeah I think, I think the, the, the cross part, I feel almost inevitably shows up eventually. I mean, they're, they're, they're always, sure. you know, tough, tough patches that you kind of have to navigate together. And I feel like that, you know, that portrayal of it as, you know, a cross you need to bear is for, for those moments when people want to give up and they're like, no, 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 it's, it's a cross, a cross type thing. Okay. You need to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Good point. Good point. Good yeah, point. Just, and, uh, and to be clear, to be clear, like nobody's marriage is perfect. As you've said, it's not um, Except for years, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have to, I have to admit. No, good. no, 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 no. Definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely not. I, yeah, but it, yeah. But all in all, it's, um, it's such a gift to find a good person that you can um, really be on a team with and um, be at each other's side and face the world. And, uh, and you know, it's kind of part of the reason why I do what I do and why I'm interested in what I'm interested in is because I spent so much time as a younger woman, just totally um, captured by bad ideology and um, totally mm, uh, I don't know, consumed by the pain of the consequence, the decisions I was making. and. Uh, and I just want, I wish somebody could have told my younger self, it doesn't have to be this way, you know? And, um, and, and maybe offered a little hope in that way that, you know, if you can turn things around, like things will get better and like life is really beautiful and it can be. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's too good. It's too good of news not to share. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a like I said, it's a, it's a similar experience, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's also I don't I don't want to lay blame on on our parents because you know they've had their own their own crosses to bear in in many ways, but mm-hmm. uh, it does feel like a kind of generational thing as well. Well, for me at least, you know, when I was growing up, I was extremely cynical about the world just seeing, you know, the, this just immense level of conflict and, and issues and, you know, divorce and all sorts of things that was happening around me. And it just felt like quite, I don't know, dystopian what, what you know, what, what lay ahead if, if I were to get married. You know, it was just all, you know, 
cheating and just, you know, violence and things like that. And I was like, okay, yeah, you know, why, why even contemplate this? Why even, you know, produce children, you know, who would want to, you know, um, further the cycle of trauma or whatever yeah. <laughs> or, or liberal compatriots call it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it just didn't make any sense for me. So, you know, it just, it took a, a long while to get in tune with the positive things in the world and seeing, you know, just kind of, um, brute forcing myself into positive possibility mentally to actually totally. be able to, yeah, to even imagine that this could be a good idea. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Is it just me or did so many boomers end up in just really bad marriages? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm not even necessarily talking about my parents. Like I just like as a generation, like, man, so many millennials walk away from that thinking the same thing. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I can, I can see it just in past generations. Like my grandparents had wonderful really I mean wonderful you know there's a question of how much they tolerated of each other and you know how much one should tolerate because you know there was even domestic violence there was even you know people weren't you know like sparkling conversationalists all the time you know my grandpa was like just a curmudgeonly guy who was you know just destroyed by laboring in the mines and you know he wasn't like a you know just a charming dude he would just come home he was hungry he wanted to eat then he slept and he went back to the mines you know it wasn't like a you know what incredible life but they it wasn't even an option you know I feel like once the options were on the table and it was all about, you know, you know, designing your life. And I feel like my parents' generation was the first one to design their lives, even here under, you know, communist Romania, the, the concept of designing your life was really big. Um, they designed it and they failed a very big flop in terms of life design. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's always a question. I mean, I think, you know, the liberals might say, oh, okay, this is, you know, the, your grandparents put up with so much and they should have just, you know, yeah, should have designed their life a bit harder. But it really does feel to me like if you, in the, in the sum total of things, um, much more suffering happened under the, um, you know, self-created generation, not the, you know, the one that kind of just went through the motions and, and got on with it. Right. Yeah. That really gets back to the, uh, you know, what you were talking, what the, the first question you asked me is, yeah, how has, how has motherhood changed you? Well, yes, it's been it's been a confrontation with my selfishness because it's it's this um, uh, implication of new burdens, um, uh, or imposition rather of of new burdens. But um, the happiness that has that arises from um, from these new boundaries and these new burdens and these new responsibilities is unlike anything that I've ever experienced before. So it's really strange to me how that, um, you know, this myth of infinite choice has just collapsed and and the myth of infinite choice being that, uh, you know, the potential and of infinite choice, uh, being ultimately conducive to happiness. That's what sort of collapsed under my, my new life paradigm, (laughs) um, because I am happier now than I have ever been in my life, um. And I am responsible for more now than I have ever been in my life. And I am more limited now than I have ever been in my life. So I don't have infinite choices anymore. Um, but I don't want them. 
<laughs> yes. I think even just the perspective on, you know, like you, you call it happiness, but it's it's so much broader than that. You know, I feel like a lot of times when, you know, people talk about happiness, how to, you know, create happiness, the pursuit of happiness, it's always kind of this utilitarian frame where, you know, mm. you, you get good feels from mm-hmm, stuff like mm-hmm. that. But it, it just feels like, I don't feel like I've getting good feels from from my marriage necessarily. I feel like I don't know. I feel like I have to like dig down into ancient Greece to find words to describe my feeling. It's eudaimonia, like, yes. Exactly. It's, it's eudaimonia. It's like, I don't know, it's it's joy, it's contentedness. It's just being at one with how things should be. Just, you know, finding your place in the world. You know, It just feels like that. It's like falling away of things that drag me down. Just the right. lightness of of, you know, knowing that this is how things should be. They are this way. And, you know, it's yeah, it's kind of a, a a pressure release. Yes, totally, totally. Um, we imagine that that uh, removing every um, I don't know relational limitation or imposition will will free us to be happy. And in reality, like that um, formality is. I you know I said this on Twitter this week. We were talking about I was talking about a royal family with some people. It's like, yeah, formality is the institution of respect. So like uh, these boundaries, these formalities, these traditions are, are, are built to sort of carry, carry those intangibles forward and to, for people to communicate those intangibles to each other. Because otherwise you just have to, I mean, how else do you express respect or, or love, or, you know, um, I don't know. I feel like we're so, this is kind of interesting. Like we're, we're so enamored in the United States with saying, I love you. Like it's, it's this whole thing on, on things like, uh, the show, like shows like the bachelor is that like this crucial box that you have to check in order to get the ring is say, and it's always in like these weird progressions too. It's like, I'm in the process of falling in love with you. I'm falling in love with you. I'm in love with you. Um, but I, I feel like that happens. And, it, and it's this sort of pseudo formalization of uh, 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 like, it's like a new institution that's being created on TV because things like love need something to carry them. Like they need a, a sort of formal uh, vehicle. I guess. So, um, yeah. And, you know, a deeper one would be a deeper vehicle for love would be, uh, 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 you know, as a homemaker, you cook a meal that you know that uh, one of your kids really loves and you spend all day doing it. And that's a sort of um, formal action that communicates love um i don't know yeah yeah no i i i I get what you mean i feel like um just the way we we act in the world and the constraints that surround that action and like you said kind of the, the formalities around that are just kind of yeah channels that ensure that we express these things 
right. I don't know if, if this makes yes. sense, but it's just yeah, like, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, there's a lot of, you know, the idea that if you free yourself from all of these conventions, you know, you can act authentically and your authentic self will know, will know how to connect with other authentic selves and, you know, just a, a direct way. It just doesn't happen like that because, you know, we, we form ourselves in relation to other people and in relation to the, um, the, the structures around us. You know, a, a person who's kind of denuded of all of these structures isn't like purer or more direct or more, uh, more powerful or more, uh, has more agency. You have less agency because you're, mm-hmm. you're uh, at the mercy of the winds. You know, you're constantly looking for something to anchor yourself in because you don't have, uh, you don't have that security coming from inside you because you don't base yourself on knowing the language of the world. You know, all these formalities are essentially a language in which the self can express itself. You're, yeah. you're illiterate. That's what you are. You're just like totally. walking around, oh you know, rudderless, anchorless. And you, that's essentially, you know, what, what happening with people. Exactly. And you're, you're scared and anxious and you're anchoring yourself to, you know, the first flashing light that you see, you know, whatever thing is that's, you know, nice and uh, bright and attracts, you know, maybe your lesser urges, because that's, you know, that's what we see around us, you know, people being drawn into, you know, alcoholism, gambling, all sorts of more interesting synthetic drugs. You know, there are a lot of flashing light or lights around us for these rudderless beings to attach themselves. And, you know, if, if you don't, if you don't speak the language of the world, how are you going to um, navigate your your way out of situations where you know it's just the the highest bidder is going to get your soul and it's really it's it's a it's a depressing sight to see because it's not like these people are sinners it's just they don't know they don't know what they don't know mm-hmm. yeah i um you know and i think this is why people are so attracted to traditionalism in all its forms now um because uh, they understand tradition and uh, tradition as an act of love um, that connects generations to one another, and really the the intentional destruction of this tra- uh, tradition as as is an act of ha- an act of hatred. Um, but yeah, like I mean, we can go back to the royal family for just a moment. Like all of these. These like people, smaller Republicans will sort of wonder, well, what's the point of what is the point of all of these motions and all of these, you know, why can't Harry wear his uniform or whatever it is? And it's like, well, no, because there are rules. There are rules that that keep an order um, that allow people to make se- the order is what allows people to make sense of the world. And, um, yeah, and so basically what people don't understand about Meghan Markle and the problem of Meghan Markle is it's, is not just that she's, they're like, oh, she's like flipping the monarchy on its head. Like, that's so cool. It's like, no, what she's doing is an act of hate. She's destroying something that's beautiful for her own sake, or she's attempting to, right? Um, and you wonder why there aren't any positive feelings between her and uh, like Prince William. And it's like, well, because all of these things that she has sort of branded as um, acts of liberation are actually personal attacks on them. 
it's kind of funny. Like, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that is what you've just said is that these, these sort of lines between, um, just, just that, yeah, the lines between the formal, uh, formal institutions of respect and formal like etiquette, let's just say, and, uh, you know, personal feeling like, Etiquette is what protects personal feeling, right? Like these institutions, these structures for human behavior are what protect people's hearts ultimately. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're, you're onto something really deep there. Uh, just because, I mean, I've, I've, I've noticed that in, in my, my own just life in terms of um, having weak boundaries it's interesting. I mean, just kind of, I mean, it's just like a quirk of, of how I grew up. I don't very have very strict boundaries. People, it's very hard to get close to people. You'd think, you know, someone with weak boundaries would, you know, be surrounded by by friends and stuff like that. It gets very strange very fast if you have weak boundaries with people because if you can't, um, you know, if you don't have that structure around yourself, where okay, this is where I am and you begin. Um, you know, relationships overwhelm you very fast and then you kind of have to cut them off at a certain point and say, okay, no, this is, this has gone absolutely crazy. I don't even know how we got to this point. I have to say, no, I don't want to ever see you again because it's just because you, you haven't negotiated that structure and you don't know, you know, like I said, where you end and, and the other person begins. And even the other person doesn't know, you know, how far can they take it? It's, and right. I feel like this is, it's it's not just me. I mean, I've I've noticed this in friends of mine and, and people who've who've grown up. I mean, I mean, I've, I grew up kind of like a weed. You know, no one no one paid me any mind. But um, you know, I feel like it's kind of a generational thing as well. You know, just and this is just like a, at a personal level, but at a societal level, that's essentially what these formalities are. What you know, social structures are. It just has you know, there, it's a it's a blueprint of how everyone relates to everyone and what you can expect from the other person. And when that falls away. No one knows how to relate to anyone because you don't know what blueprint they're running. Is there even a, bl- a blueprint? Is there, do they even have any any sort of you know regulation as to how to interact with you? What language even are they speaking? I mean, if you're in a right. big, you know, this it's it's essentially the Tower of Babel, but for every dimension of a person. Yes, you know? totally. Yeah, and yeah, it's it reminds me of something I wanted to say earlier too about meeting your online friends IRL is that there is this sort of language like there is a, is a, uh, you know for people in our sort of world um, we've developed our own language of memes and our own um, sort of structure structures of it's not really our own structures of meaning but we, we're all sort of getting at um, uh, social ideals together and so. Um, I feel more at ease with, with, you know, people like you, like who speak my language in in a sense, um, than I do often with, uh, you know, people I've known for a long time, but we've, we're, 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 uh, friendships were sort of a, a matter of, uh, happenstance. So. Yeah. You know what to expect, you know, from me, cause <laughs> I'm dealing with the, the same, uh, kind of codes of, of conduct as you yeah. are but yeah it's, it is interesting and I, I agree it's uh it's, it's surprisingly easy to um to act natural among people I don't know if this is necessarily a good thing because to be honest it's been a struggle to kind of reintegrate with you know people that I used to be uh, you know very good friends with and right. it's also hard to kind of translate okay what what is it that you're doing so what type of uh thing is this so I also don't want to you know 
don't want to draw them in too much because then they'd be like, okay, so who is Thomas 777 and why is he <laughs> wearing like Nazi regalia? And, you know, like, what's it, what exactly are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, they asked me like, what is it that you're doing? And I mean, for people who don't even understand the concept of a podcast or at least wouldn't understand, you know, I, had, I would have to explain a podcast before they could even understand what I'm saying. I just say I write for magazines. And that's usually... Same. Hey, that's what I say too. You know, it's, I'm that, a writer. Exactly. Yeah. But sometimes they ask like, you know, so, so what books have you written? I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not at, know. at book level yet, yeah. <laughs> but working on it. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, thing to, you know, and that's why I say, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is, you know, the everything of, of life, but I do spend a lot of time thinking about these domains and, you know, thinking about stuff that, you know, you also think about, you know, um, and it is easier to connect with people from the space, I have to say. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I don't know, how have you found, uh, you know, life in meat space? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? I love life in meat space. Um, in my, where I live now, we moved somewhere where there's a very strong traditional Catholic community. And, uh, I have a wonderful group of friends who, um, I can be totally, you know, myself and, and, uh, you know, Alex Jones post and, and the mom chat and it's all good, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, they're all woke on seed oils. I mean, what more could you ask of your mommy friends? Oh man, where, where? I mean, I'm not gonna ask where. Then I'm not gonna, you know, talk to you. Should move like, here. Yeah, text me where it is. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, the thing is, like, here, if you want to be kind of high status, and that's kind of people that I went to high school with. I went to kind of the more. It wasn't private high school. It was public high school, but you know, higher level. You know, the, the mm -hmm. smarty pants kids went there. They're all in on you know the narrative you know because that's very high status here so whenever I want to like hang out with people kind of from my generation or you know who are who are up to things you know maybe you know running a business or stuff like that um yeah they're they're all very uh, uh very woke on many things and you know oh, they're friends gosh. crying about I don't know just the, the most retarded things you know BLM people like this there are no black people here yeah. What are you talking what are you, about? What are you talking about? You, you, you oh, yeah. send, oh, didn't you send like a, there was like a George Floyd uh, mural or something in um, rural Romania? Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was like, I don't know. There's just even like street tags, people, I don't know, writing about oh, George Floyd. And, um, I don't know. It's it's just a symbol. It's a symbol for a certain type of status seeking, Um, you know, so uh, yes. it's, it's, it's sad because these are really smart people, really smart people, the people that you'd want to hang out with because they're funny and interesting. And, you know, they'd, they'd be much more interesting if they just stop it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I, I, I hate, I hate to be anti-midwit because I'm sure like we have the same IQ <laughs> and so I guess I don't hate to be anti-midwit. I, I don't know, but it, it, yeah, I agree. It's like these people who are, you know, oper operating on these levels and, and uh, they've got great jobs and they're like totally solid people, responsible, high executive function. Um, and, you know, it's almost in any normal society, it would be a virtue to strive for social consensus. <laughs> but it's, it's this sort of 
just totally oppressive careerist thing that um yeah it does make meat space hard yeah and it's i don't know it's um it's kind of heartening as well to to see how um it's it's just kind of a, a coat that they put on for um status seeking it's not that you know they they consciously do this they they obviously don't realize that this is what they're doing but um you know they they believe these things because these are the things that need to be believed because i don't know whatever influencers that they they're watching in the west you know believe these things are posted about you know mm-hmm. prison reform and abortions and all that or whatever oh, <laughs> on the day um when they're they they kind of get emotionally invested because that's the thing to do um and i'm sure i'm sure to be honest i'm, I'm sure i'm not a stranger to, to this type of uh thinking as well i mean I like to pride myself in being like a three thinker, but I, I also have kind of knee jerk reactions depending on my tribe. I mean, mm-hmm. normal. I just, I kind of feel like I've kind of run the, the just a, the game theory of the world, the utopian world that they think that, you know, they, they want to live in or, you know, what the future sh- would look like. And it's retarded. It doesn't. <laughs> doesn't work like it, it just doesn't work it's 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 bankrupt from the from the ground up mm-hmm. um and i can't believe in it because you know just just do the math pull out a paper napkin you know get your pencils and, and think about exactly what it is that you're proposing it's it's absurd yeah. demographic so, winter. yeah i mean uh that doesn't deter many people i don't know if, yeah yeah exactly yeah i mean that's that's another <laughs> another big thing and this is this really is sad because you know like i said i'm i'm don't necessarily want to say that my circle of friends represents like you know romania at large romania still has relatively high um like uh fertility rate compared to to other higher than hungary even um the oh. wanted example which is not much but you know quite a little bit i think it's at, at 1.8 or 1.9 now so close to two uh but uh Almost none of the girls that I grew up with have children. Almost none. I mean, there were like two or three girls who got married right out of high school who had children or tried to have children right then and there. Um, but that was just like a very small minority. And they were kind of like freaks even then. Like, what mm-hmm. the hell are these people doing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very religious people. Baptists, actually. Many, many of them Baptists. So, yeah, they were kind of some sort of evangelical. Um, but yeah, most, it's either that or none. And that is interesting. Yeah. yeah, I see that in the United States too. You've either got like Ballerina Farm with her seven mm-hmm. children. And are you familiar like, with this, this yeah, influencer? Yeah. I mean, her husband's like some heir. Yeah, of- like a Mormon billionaire. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. they're Mormon. Um, or they look Mormon <laughs> yeah. in the best ways. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Oh, yeah. Now that I'm thinking, it's like it's either Ballerina Farm or like Lainey Molnar. <laughs> Is that her oh, name? yeah. Yeah, exactly. That poor woman. Exactly. She's Hungarian as well, which is interesting. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> for, for the people who don't know what Ballerina Farm is, this is, you know, this is uh, deep female lore. Uh, this is a uh, Instagram <laughs> account with uh, this gorgeous woman. I think she used to be Miss Utah, who's married to this gorgeous man. And they have like a billion children on this picturesque farm where they sell, I don't know, you know, homemade yeah. sausages and stuff like that. Uh, and she 
uh, you know, posts videos of sourdough and she cooks with like seven babies strapped to her and stuff like that. But yeah, it's uh, also, you know, this, this is all uh, enabled and helped by the fact that they are filthy rich and yes, they have yes. huge staff. Uh, who helped them on all of this. Yes. So anyway, it's it's an interesting situation. I mean, this is, you know, life goals for, for many on the uh, trad right, I think. I wouldn't totally. mind, you know, uh, like 10-person staff helping me with my sourdough. Wouldn't um, it be nice? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. But it's so. funny, too, because she is sort of commodifying this identity, um, which, you know, I suppose I'm, I'm a bit guilt, uh, guilty of. I'm not even sure it's a bad thing. Actually, I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing, especially for our political uh, or for my sort of political goals. Um, what are my political goals? I, I just would like to, um, uh, through, you know, words or example, um, encourage women to pursue a way of life that is more conducive to happiness in the Aristotelian sense than what the current paradigm is offering. Um, so back to Ballerina Farm, like what she's doing, yes, she's sort of commodifying this identity, right? And uh, I think Marxists might look at that skeptically, but um, she's also inspiring a lot of women to, to try these sort of things, you know, to make the sourdough, to have the additional child, uh, to, to do like a sort of, to, to question the seed oils, whatever it is. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, you know, we keep talking about aesthetics. We keep talking about elites. We keep talking about kind of, um, you know, power uh, accumulating at the top. There's nothing better. I mean, this is essentially, uh, you know, BAP for women. I know the ballerina farm. It's uh, yeah, you know, totally. this, this is a stunning woman with a brood of a thousand children. You know, making everything from scratch. Yeah, it's it's aspirational, and this is yeah, this is kind of the sun cult that we should all be drifting totally, towards. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'm I'm it's all vitalism. All it is vitalism. That is what it, it is. is for vitalism. Sure. But it is also kind of interesting to note that you know it's 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 hard. It really, is hard. I mean having, I don't know, she has like six or seven or eight children, like a, a lot of children, having that amount of children, um, you know, keeping a home that is beautiful and picturesque, making everything from scratch, all of that stuff is possible. But there, you know, there, there are sage hands in the back, you know, helping with each spin of the ladle, with each wiping of the asses you know it's just, it's, uh, it's it's important to note that even ballerina farm is not an octopus she does not have you know multiple hands doing multiple things at the same time yes yes yeah, so it's um you know just to just to bring us back and you know i'm sure that you know some some of the uh, bodybuilders might uh, enjoy the occasional anabolic supplement or something oh, so, sure. you know sure. you know there there might be stage hands helping <laughs> Right, exactly. And and they're making money too, you know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Solbra yeah. needed to sell his book. And that's a good thing. And I support yeah. him. And you know, and Bap in his own way. So No, I'm I'm all in on on the thing. Um on the things that people are promoting. And yeah, yeah I mean that's, even though they would probably cool. hate someone like me. <laughs> I do support matter. them. I really do. I mean yeah, same here. Yeah, it was such an interesting moment too. The the whole BAP thing, and it was it was actually quite formative for me because, um, really, what he what he identified as sort of lifelessness in the culture, this um, 
sort of anti-vitality, uh, the bug, you know, the bug man, the bug man world view. Um, and that, that's really baked into the, uh, the girl boss meme, the, um, female striving sort of careerist fantasy, um, that has been a part of so many women's lives. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the sort of like HR, um, woman is the enemy of, of, uh, sort of Baptist figure. And she's my enemy too, to be honest. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The inhabitants of the, of the HR longhouse. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is just, just so many schisms and so much infighting. I I just respect all the all the greats of the of the of the internet and people who've kind of built the oh, same. Kristen and Bright and you know. Same. Perhaps this is really womanly of me, but I really do see how everybody brings something different. And um, yeah, this is like so kumbaya. I'm like cringing <laughs> as it's coming out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, like um, the every there, there's something interesting to find in in every little piece. And I think that God can work through people without them being aware of it. And, um, and you know, that's beautiful. And I, it, it doesn't take away from anybody else's niche. So I enjoy yeah. it. I enjoy it. I, I, I really shudder to ever be involved in any sort of uh, beef. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's, it's healthy to be, uh, you know, saying any you know, creating any beef in that space. To be definitely honest. not. Definitely it's not. just, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've not been directly involved in beef, but yeah, people have um, deduced that I might. And even that was, was enough for, for a certain segment to get angry at me. I, it's just, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't matter. It's a, I, I respect the space. I am happy that they, that they've totally. built it. I'm, you know, they did build I, it. They did build yeah, the space. Absolutely. They did for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, BAPS one person, you know, Thomas seven 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 is also someone like that, and you Dang. know, Niccolo, just yeah, uh, incredible posters. Yeah, all, totally. all, all my respect. Um, yeah. Well, to uh, to round off this conversation, I will ask you the question of the show. Everyone gets asked this question: um, Who is the subversive thinker that you would like to recommend to our audience? Wow. Okay. You know, I should have anticipated this because <laughs> I listened to your podcast, but okay. Um, who's coming to mind? Edith Stein is coming to mind. Muriel, Muriel Spark is coming to mind. Um, Dorothy Sayers, Are Women Human is coming to mind. Um, yeah, these are all, these are all women attempting to answer the woman question in ways that aren't totally, uh, well, in ways that are interesting. I'll just say that. Mm -hmm. So no female annihilationism in these books. Or... Right. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, no, really. I mean, like, um, and I said this in my NACCON talk and, um, which you is know, extremely good, by the way. Everyone, please do uh, oh. read and listen to the uh, Nat Contact. Thanks for saying that. I did cry. <laughs> Which is wonderful and touching oh, and God. was, you know, sorely missing at NatCon. So, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's important. 
Thank you. So very womanly of me, but yeah, it's it's so hard for me to talk about um, to talk about Christ's mother Mary and not feel a lot of things. Um, uh, but that's uh, it, it's sort of the missing piece in a, in a lot of our in a lot of our world's political, you know, discussions about women and and the trad thing is like we just need to just look at Catholic history really and um, look at who we love. And it can really shed some light on who we want to, who we, who, who should aim to, you know, strive to be like. And, um, and so all of these women, Edith Stein, Muriel Spark and Dorothy Sayers, is, I, I'm not sure if Dorothy Sayers is actually a Catholic or an Anglican, but um, they're all sort of getting at that in, in, in different sort of ways in interesting ways. Excellent. Yeah, no, definitely. We uh, haven't had these uh, recommendations on, haven't read any of them so i will um yeah i will look look into it cool. thank you so much helen i appreciate you so much for coming on i mean i know this has also been a conversation that has been a long time coming we've uh we've rescheduled this a few times but i'm very happy that we finally made it made it happen i'm very happy that i got to meet you in person and witness your wonderful family and uh your <laughs> relationship with your husband who's also a great guy so thank you so much for coming on Thanks, Alex, for having me. You got to come on mine next. <laughs> we'll yeah. re- rework the schedule. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, figure it out. All right. We'll talk soon. If you like what you're hearing, want to see where I take it, and maybe want early access to episodes, bonus episodes, access to the AMA, or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general, head to my Patreon at patreon.com slash subversive. Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible, so thank you.